Welcome to the Jay Martin Show. My name is Jay Martin. I'm an investor and the CEO of Cambridge House. And my guest today is Robert Kiyosaki, the author of the best-selling book in personal finance, best-selling book of all time in personal finance, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, in addition to another 26 books that Robert has authored. Now, Robert is probably the truest capitalist, the truest definition of a capitalist that I've ever had on the show. And as a consequence, he offends a lot of people. And this interview might offend some people because I do my best to just let my guests express their true thoughts and feelings about how the world works. And from Robert's perspective, and I don't necessarily disagree with this, our world is largely a game that's being played by a small handful of people at the very top. And most of the population are more or less pawns in that game when it comes to the movement of money. And that's what Robert really focuses on and has built a life focusing on and fighting to get to the top of that game. So this is a fascinating discussion. He's been around the block. He's been all over the world financing companies, investing in companies and all sorts of asset classes and industries and is a wealth of experience that he shares with us today. Tons of personal stories that he shared on the show today. So I really hope you take something away from this as I did we talked about his experience in Vancouver, Canada, financing early stage speculative companies and what the culture was like in the finance sector at that time, an absolute cowboy culture. This is back in the 70s and 80s when the Vancouver Stock Exchange was rife with criminal activity. This is how Vancouver got such a nefarious reputation. Now things have changed. The city and stock exchange doesn't operate like that anymore, but it's fascinating hearing his stories of when it used to. We talked about the commodity sector, about alternative currencies, gold, Bitcoin, and really the future of capitalism and the future of finance. And this was a fascinating discussion. So I really hope you enjoy this. Robert Kiyosaki, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. You're listening to The Jay Martin Show. Enjoy. Okay, guys, Jay Martin here, CEO of Cambridge House. And I'm joined right now by Robert Kiyosaki author of Rich Dad, Poor Dad, uh, and 26 other books, but still today, this is the best-selling personal finance book of all times. Robert, it's a real honor having you on the show. Thanks so much for making the time. Well, it's my pleasure. I mean, you do a very good job of interviewing. Thank you. No, you do. You ask great questions and you get to the point. So I've watched the show many, many times. So congratulations. I really appreciate that. That means a ton. I mean, you inspired a whole generation of people that do what I do. You know, it's it's that sovereign mindset approach to wealth generation, looking for the alternative path, thinking outside the box and carving your own path when it comes to to building wealth. And, you know, maybe that's a good place to start. I'd love to know, you know, for someone who hasn't read your books or isn't as familiar with who you are. What was the catalyst for you to start thinking outside the box when it came to generating wealth? Well, Jay, I think it's very important. August 15th, 1971 was when Nixon took the dollar off the gold standard. And that's why our economy is in this very precarious position today. And we have never been here in the history of the world. I mean, we printed more money in 10 years than we have in the last 10,000 years. You know, I mean, it's just crazy. So what happened on August 15, 1971, the 50th anniversary is coming up, is what kind of inspired me to question things. As I was saying to you when I first talked to you, I'm, I'm, I'm impressed with your generation because you guys are far more aware of what's going on, at least financially, macro, economically, 
than any other generation in history. Of course, you know, a lot of your generations have got their butts up their butts, as you know, but uh, they should be listening to you. But my generation, the boomer generation, we were clueless. You know, so when August 15th, 1971 came, what people don't realize was we broke the agreement of the Bretton Woods Agreement, 1944. We promised the world the dollar would be backed by gold. Going back in time, so in 1933, it was FDR, Franklin Delano Roosevelt, who everybody loves. The guy was a hardcore Marxist. He, t- he made owning gold illegal. And so, 44, so 1933, 1944, you got to study history, Bretton Woods, 781, Nixon screws the world. But this is the thing that happened, Jay, that really screwed my generation of boomers. The 401k was born in 1974. So today you have my generation, the boomers, they're hanging on by a thread due to historical events coming in. So now the stock market is at an all-time high. It's nuts. And the reason it's all-time high is because our CEOs are borrowing money from the Treasury to repurchase their own stocks. So we don't have a real economy. We don't have a real stock market. And the U.S., the Fed is greatly in debt. The U.S. is greatly in debt. So your generation is far more aware. But my generation, my concern is the market is going to come down. Stock market, bond market, real estate market. And my generation is not prepared for it because they're not as turned on or aware as much of your generation is like, you know, like it's, it's such a paradox of what's going on. So like most of your generation, their heads are up their butts, hmm. but they should be listening to you. And I'm always impressed when I see younger guys asking far more sophisticated questions than most of my peers could ever ask. So that's why I watch your program. Interesting. Okay, there's a ton in there that I look forward to unpacking. And, you know, I've heard you talk about the risk of relying on the 401k, which, you know, essentially that to me, it's like having blind faith in your retirement plan, right? Having blind faith in your future by just trusting a separate entity to be looking out for your best interest, in this case, the 401k, which is tied to stock market that continues to hit all time high valuations completely decoupled from the economy, by the way. And you see this as, I guess, a, a not such a, well, a black swan event by definition is something you don't see coming, but we're saying we see this coming and this is gonna smack a lot of people very hard. Yeah, but you can see it if you're aware. And so that's why I commend you and your generation for being more aware than my generation. So the thing that happened in 74 was, was very, very important. Back in 1950s, when I was a real little kid, I was working with my rich dad, who was my best friend's father. Yeah. He had executives at his company that played the stock market. So this is the 50s and the 60s. And my rich dad said, anybody who's in the stock market's a gambler. And so I don't do business with gamblers. And I still remember that. So when I talk, a lot of my friends are not in the stock market. So this is the point. Back in the 50s and the 60s, prior to 71, when they put the dollar off the gold standard, you could save dollars because they weren't printing it. It was backed by gold. You see, 1944 to 71, you have to look at history. Mm-hmm. So it was really smart to be a saver of dollars. It was also smart. My rich dad didn't really save money. He, he, he built projects. He, was a, you know, he, built, he built big projects. But 
he bought bonds. So the smart money back in the 50s and the 60s was in bonds and savings because they didn't print money. If you can get your head around that one, and so today we're printing $120 billion a month in the U.S. This is insanity. So my message is, so 1974, they said my generation into a 401k, Canada's RRSP, Australia's a superannuation, Japan's a 401k. So you have a whole generation, the old guys like me, <laughs> were hoping and praying that stock market stays up. Yeah. But because they print money, and money was so cheap, the CEOs were borrowing the money to buy their stocks. I mean, talk about a nuthouse. Mm. So this is the final thing, okay? There's a saying that goes, the bull goes up the stairs, the bear comes out the window. It's a very important investment strategy. What happens in a bull market is that at the top, people are happy. Please remember that, Jay. I mean, I can't even get reservations to eat. Places are packed. Biden sending out checks. People are getting checks for having kids, you know, for having puppies to give you checks. And so everybody's euphoric. So here we are at the top of a bull market. But when the bear goes out the window, it comes down so fast. Mm. Like I think it was Ernest Hemingway who said, How did you go bankrupt? Slowly at first, then suddenly. Yeah. But suddenly is coming. So my message to the Cambridge House group and all this right now is start shifting your attitude to depression. How are you going to get rich when everybody's depressed? I want you to think about that because Jim's records, you know, is a good friend of mine. Yeah. The, new, the, the great new depression. We're going to a depression. And my generation had never been through a de depression. My family was. So we're heading into the next great depression. So unless it sounds pessimistic, but the bull goes up the stairs. Everybody's happy. Champagne's flowing. I can't get a reservation. But when that bear comes down, a depression is emotional. People are depressed. So I don't mean to be a pessimist, but I'm saying get prepared to how you're going to make money when people are depressed. That's when you get rich. You make more money in a crash than you do in a boom. So let's let's dig into that a little bit. You know, I could speculate based on what you just shared that you're sitting heavy in cash right now, preparing for opportunity. It could be anything. I'm just saying, be prepared for people being depressed. And then you'll see a different market emerging. I'm, I'm still investing. I mean, I'm doing all that. I, I don't stop. Right. But, you know, I bought a lot of real estate also just last couple of months ago, mm. another $160 million worth of real estate. But, the reason we're doing that is because we know people are, we're, U.S. is becoming a nation of renters. And there's so many houses that are going into a foreclosure right now that the migration will become out of homeowners into apartment renters. So we're preparing for the depression. If that makes sense to you, I'm not saying I'm depressed. I'm just saying to your, your age group, be prepared for an economy where people are depressed and you'll see a different economy. So if you're talking to an investor who's been in the market for less than a decade, and there's a lot, I mean, that population of new investors to maybe to your point about 
the younger generation being more aware that they need to take control of their finances. And I want to dive into that, into the why. But, you know, I definitely see that trend. And the big risk I see there is that if you've been in the market for five years, 10 years, 12, 13 years, the market does one thing. It goes up, right? Yeah. Yeah. And then it goes up again. You got it. You got it, Jay. Your generation has only known really up. Yeah. The ball goes up the stairs. At the top of it, people are euphoric. It's like this, is that Robin Hood app went public or something like that? It's all this is an app by a stack. Yeah. Hey, this is nuts. And and your generation is aware, but they're gambling right now. Do you know what I mean? You have a you have a generation of gamblers because they're in the stock market. So let me say it again. My rich dad, when I was a kid, he says only gamblers are in the stock market. But what happened in 74, they pushed my generation into the stock market. So all across the world, Jay, right now is you have old guys like me who are happy because the stock market is high. And the and if I'm correct, the bear is about to take a leap out the window. Slowly at first, sudden. And your generation has really only known a high, except for 9-11. It's the only high. I don't know, you guys are probably too young for 2008. But 2008 was almost a depression, but they just pumped trillions of dollars in it. Yeah. So the yeah. problem was never fixed. Yet. So the problem has got 10 times worse in 2008. Yeah. Now, and you, you don't, you know, you, you can go beyond the stock market. If you talk about those valuations, real estate, another play, right? I mean, my, my parents' generation, that was the move. You borrowed money, bought real estate, retired on that home equity. Right. It's a very tried and tested path. One that now, you know, we, we feel inclined to follow. Now, you just invested a ton in real estate, but you're in a different position than most, Robert. What do you feel about... So here, here's some real life experience. I bought a house three years ago, and I was convinced I bought at the top of the market. And if I wasn't buying my family's principal residence, I never would have done it. But I was like, this is a 10, 20 year residence, so I'm okay with the valuation. However, three years later, it's only been three years, my realtor's calling me and trying to get me to sell for an 80% right. return after three years. That kind of froth and mania just raises red flags all through my brain. I get very, very concerned. So what are your thoughts on real estate today for the average you know, one, two property investor? Well, as, as I say, in rich dad, poor dad, you know, I mean, uh, the purpose of a business is to buy real estate. So I'm always buying real estate, but I study. I'm a student of real estate. My partners are all real estate professionals. Mm. We're not gamblers. And most people are gamblers. So let me just tell you, I have the same appreciation. I have, a, I have, a, I have one of the best houses in all Hawaii, right on the beach in, on Diamond Head. It has gone up from two, I think from two million to 12 million. That's a lot of money sitting there. Okay. Yes. And so they say, do you want to sell it? Now, if I sell a $12 million house, I have a capital gains. I pay taxes on it. So what I do is I borrow out $5 million. I borrow out the equity and I invest it in other companies. Okay. So I, I, the, it's my, I'm not saying everybody should do what I do. My strategy, what happened in 71, the US dollar became debt and taxes. So this guy is like uh, these characters who say, live debt-free. And most people should live debt-free. I'm a billion dollars in debt. Because what happened in 71, the dollar became debt. And the more I borrow, the less tax I pay. Trump does the same thing. That's why in 2015, when Hillary Clinton nailed him for saying, well, you don't pay any taxes. He said, that means I'm smart. 
You see, the smart guys don't pay taxes, but we make millions of dollars. So I'm saying on this deal in Hawaii, where I bought it for two million, it's now twelve billion. I borrow five million at I think two percent or three percent. Yeah. And then I reinvest it. But I pay no capital gains because debt is tax free. So I made five million dollars, let's say. I just sit on the sideline park. I'm still making the same payments on the two million dollar house. Yeah. Does that make sense to you? Yeah. Yeah. And so I'm not saying I please don't say, oh, Robert said to borrow money. I don't please. if you're an idiot, don't do anything with this. Get a 401k and RRSP and save money. You know what I mean? That's what idiots should do. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. And and so, you know, following that thought, are you concerned at all about about because I can hear my audience right now saying, but what if the market crashes and Robert's overexposed on his currently valued at $12 million property, uh, but he's borrowed $5 million against it, and the value crashes back to three or four. Is that a scenario that you think about? Of course, you've got to think that, but they think I'm at risk. I'm not at risk at all, because I'm just going to reinvest that money, and the interest rates are like 2%. Sure. And I, the reason I love Canada so much is because I, I started on the Vancouver, where all the Frito Banditos hang out. Yeah. I mean, there's more criminal, there's more criminals in Vancouver, and they're all my friends. <laughs> if you, I was in the mining business, so, so Jay, you know, I'm a real criminal, you know, because the mine, everybody, you know, what's the definition of a liar? It's a gold miner standing next to a hole in the ground, you know. That's that's all we were doing. <laughs> so I love Vancouver, and when I migrated my my company over to to Toronto. I did it only for one reason, is I wanted to find out how criminal the stock market is. Okay. Bullshit. It's worse than real estate. I'm not kidding you. Jay, I'd have a hole in the ground and people would give me money for it. (laughs) (laughs) And my my teacher was this guy named Frank. He took like 20-something companies public all on, on, on a New York and in Canada, you like Canada because it's a resource guy. I learned more about the stock market hanging out with Frank. So what we would do, I mean, I'm not proud of myself, but so we find this hole on the ground. I mean, in fact, it wasn't even a hole. <laughs> it was just, we'd get a claim, you know, say, so, okay, this piece of this, this 10 acres is ours. We'd find a newsletter writer, newsletter writer, because that's what they had in old days. News, they didn't have social media. Yeah. So let's say it's Joe Schmo. He's writing newsletters. I say, hey, Joe, pump the stock for us. So Joe would sit, sit there and he'd write these glowing reports on what a hot find we have. You know, we got five acres in this or someplace in the Yukon or somebody else in Alberta or something. And the money would pour in, Jay. There's nothing there. There's nothing there. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so Jay, I learned I learned more in Vancouver than I could have in prison. <laughs> I know, Jay. I was I was ecstatic. I mean, does it just because you hang out with you that doesn't mean you have to do what they do? Yeah, yeah. But I was learning how they think. I loved it. I loved it. I loved it. And so most of my friends are entrepreneurs. They don't have jobs, you know. <laughs> I. You know, it's amazing to hear you share these stories. And I want to provide some background for people who aren't so familiar with the mineral exploration business. 
which is largely headquartered in Vancouver. That's what you're referring to. You know, there's a fantastic quote. I believe it was Steve Forbes who said, this is like in the early 80s, if you're faint of heart or slow of wit, stay clear of the Vancouver Stock Exchange. And, you know, the the story you shared about acquiring uh, some property, getting the claims, the mineral claims to a property, and then hiring some promotion to promote the potential of discovering a, a large gold deposit, silver deposit, copper deposit, hyping up the story, getting investors to finance the deal with potentially nothing in the ground. I mean, so, you know, that's the and your your quote, what's the definition of a gold mine? It's a hole in the ground with a liar standing on top of it. <laughs> you know, I'm familiar with all this stuff because I grew up in Vancouver, right? Yeah, I know this industry and what I love about that, because I I'm a bit of a cowboy in that yeah. I, I like to think outside the box and and think for myself. And and Vancouver requires you to be incredibly sharp because yes. of That's uh, it. Yeah, the character. You've got to be ten times smarter in Vancouver than in New York. It it forms your character very, very effectively, right? right? Which is a fantastic, I don't know, uh, schooling to receive. You shared a bit, you know, on, on what you could call the, the criminal nature of some of these speculative industries or even real estate. You know, I want to tie this back to you, something earlier that you said about, you know, my generation and younger being more aware about the future of, of their wealth. Why do you think that is? Because when I think, why would somebody become more aware or, or try to become more aware? It's because they would have a decreased amount of trust in the current system and therefore would want to start exploring options outside of the system, leading them to understand things better. You know, do, you, do you see that? Do you think there's an increased lack of trust that's leading to um, this increased desire to, to understand the movement of money and the flow of money and the way the world really works? Well, I also think it's technology. I mean, there was no YouTube, you know, when I was a kid. Sure. Yes. So, uh, yes. so you guys like you pop up, you know, it, it, to do what you do today, would have cost about $20 million in the 70s. You'd have to set up a whole TV station and all this stuff to totally. do it. So today, you guys can pop up for a thousand bucks, you're in business. You, you can compete with CNBC and Fox News and all this stuff. So that makes your generation far ahead of my generation. I'm not saying any smarter, I'm just saying more aware. It's like when I saw those guys jumping into Robin Hood and all this, I said, we've all seen this show. You know, I mean, hopefully they'll make it. We don't know. But I've been part of that process. Mm. If I could say one, one thing more, too, my teacher, this guy named Frank, he said, the difference between my lies and your lies are my lies come true. <laughs> In other words, we make these promises, which just here, they, the logic. He says, if we make this project, and we're selling penny stocks, you could buy 100 shares for a, a buck. So we're selling penny stocks. It put the onus on us to make it come true. Yeah. So that's what you were saying. We have to be smarter, better, faster with less money. Yeah. Now that that deal I, I pumped out of from Vancouver through Toronto, Stock Exchange, we stuck the biggest gold mine in China, said Dalian Province. I was a billionaire for about a year. We did find gold, we did promote it, we raised 27 million US for it. And then when all the assays came true, they said, you have I don't know, a billion dollars in gold sitting here. They were true. They were facts. It, it wasn't loose. It wasn't, they call it moose pasture, you know, the bullshit. You have a billion dollar fine here. As soon as that happened, guess what happened? What? Chinese, Chinese took it. Yeah. 
So when you get into the money markets, it's the same deal. You've got to watch out who you're dealing with. Chinese are smarter than white guys. <laughs> you know, it's... That's a backhanded compliment. You can catch that. Oh, yeah, I did. Japanese are stupid. Japanese are really stupid. They save money. Chinese are really smart. <laughs> so I'm not against the Chinese people. It's the Chinese government. I've fought those guys before, for real. You know, as you're walking through this, I can hear my audience uh, getting loud because, you know, I invest aggressively in the commodity sector, specifically in the early stage, highly speculative mineral exploration, right? That's where I spend a lot of my time. And, and uh, you know, I can hear my audience and, and CEOs that I talk to saying, why are you talking about our industry this way? Like we're a bunch of scammers. But honestly, this hits the nail right on the head because everything I talk about when it comes to the high risk speculation stuff is I'm all about the people, the people, the people over everything else every single time. And I get a lot of crap for that, Robert, like sometimes from, you know, a technical geologist uh, background investor and they say, oh, you're missing the you're, you're not looking at the geology, you're not looking at the rocks and the core samples. And I say, I don't have time because I invest in the food sector and the health sector and the in the mining sector. I don't have time to be an expert in all those things, but I can know people. Right. And when you write a check, you're investing in the integrity, the, the judgment, the decision making ability of one or two individuals. Right. It's it's not the product or the industry. You're investing in you're letting someone have an adventure with your money. So you do trust them. Right. To make their lies come true, as you said. Right. That's what it's all about. Yeah. Well, the thing is, please listen to what, about what Jay is saying. It was my team that I trusted. You know, we, I had some of the best guys out of Toronto, some of those best stock guys from like Burns, Fry back then and all this stuff. They had the highest of integrity. They knew the game. They knew a lot of times there's nothing there. But that meant we had to be 10 times smarter. You buy Amazon, you can be an idiot. Buy Apple, you can be an idiot. You're okay. So if you're an idiot, buy Apple and Amazon. Do, do you know what I mean? Sure. But if you're, if you're like the Wild West, and that's what I enjoy. That's why I'm an entrepreneur. I don't have a job. I don't want a job. I don't want job security. I was a Marine pilot. But, you know, you come back and I go, God, life is kind of boring here in the States. <laughs> so that's why I was in Vancouver. <laughs> I, I really, no, it's, Jay, I loved it there. I loved every, every guy would pitch a deal. And you know the game. I'd be in the hotel room. They'd send a beautiful young lady to convince me, you know what I mean? And like that. I said, thank you. I don't do that stuff. You know, because it's all there to test your will, your morals, your uh, discipline. Sure. Always tested. Because every deal sounds good. Every beautiful woman is gorgeous. The vodka is just as good in Canada as it is in the States. So is the scotch. So is the beer. I love, I love Molson. I love Labatt Blue. It's a game. But you got to know who's on your side. And my team was solid as shit. They're, they're tough as nails. The best attorney, I can't mention his name, but man, he was way up there on the TOC. Mm. And he wouldn't let any, we wouldn't do anything that would jeopardize his position. Mm. So it is the team that goes in. And the rest is just, as they used to say, moose pasture. It's just a piece of dirt. You hope something's there. And we went all over the world. I was my first mine was in Peru, then in, in uh, Mongolia, then China, 
and then Argentina and Portugal. It was the best experience. And I was back at war. It was exciting. And average guy should have, you know, a daytime job with a 401k and RRSP. That's 99% of the market. But those guys feed us. I like the adventure. If you don't like the adventure, you know, don't do it. Can I, can I tell you a story? Can I tell you a story? Of course. Because that's how I learned. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm a Marine. I'm an entrepreneur. I was pretty well in business. But I wanted to try the Wild West of Vancouver. This is how I learned stuff. So we, we were drilling for oil in Portugal. And everybody said, well, there's no oil in Portugal. So we're drilling away. The assets are coming back. The price, the price of the stock's going up and up. This is what I'm saying. The bull goes up the stairs. The bear goes out the window. So we're all excited. The drill's going down and all this. It looks positive. There's carbon coming up and all this stuff. And suddenly, the stock drops like a rock. And uh, what happened? I mean, Jay, we're as close to the inside as possible. They couldn't get closer to us. I said, who has closer information than we do? And my partner, Frank, looked at me and said, the guy on the oil rig did. Interesting. He says, it's always insider trading. The question is, how close to the inside are you? I learned so much in Vancouver, Jay. <laughs> I, I mean, you know, I, I don't recommend it, but it was the best real life education I've ever had. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, I, I get it. I get it. What's up, everybody? Sorry for the interruption. Quick note, if you enjoy these conversations, I publish a weekly newsletter and it's free where I share my top takeaways, lessons learned, and any action steps I might be taking as a consequence in the market. Sign up at cambridgehouse.com. I publish every week and it's free. Now back to the conversation. Okay, now let's, uh, I want to jump into the macro a little bit right now, Rob. Like, what's catching your attention? We talked about just sky high valuations that we believe run sustainable. A conversation that we're having on my channel a lot right now, I'd love to get your thoughts on this, is the inflation versus deflation debate, right? And it's very easy, I find, to argue for inflation because you feel it in your wallet, right? Whether you're, you know, building a shed in your backyard, buying two by fours, looking at your home valuation, the price of food, any durable goods is all sky high, but that's just a piece of the picture. And it's enough though, to drive the media to start talking about sensational headlines like runaway inflation. And I don't buy it. I don't buy it. But what do you think? Is, is this a worthy conversation or, or how do you feel about that? Well, it's a good question because it depends on who you listen to. I mean, one of the advantages today is are, are guys like you with YouTube channels. And you guys interview guys. And you have one guy like Lacey Hunt says it's going to be deflation. Other guys say it's going to be inflation. Yeah. And the purpose of you as the investor or the person is, you know what, uh, what's this guy, F. Scott Fitzgerald says, the definition of an uh, intelligent mind is to be able to hold two opposing points of view at the same time. So one person says inflation, one person says deflation. And intelligence means somewhere in between, I'm going to make my decision. Yeah. When people ask me about that, they say, I don't give a shit. I've been, I've been preparing for this crash since 1971. I have so much gold and silver and Bitcoin stacked to the ceilings. 
because in 1970, it was actually 72, I started. When Nixon put the dollar off the gold standard 50 years ago, August 15, 1971, I could see the future. At that point, I don't save dollars. I save gold, silver, Bitcoin, and I borrow money. So as long as the banks are giving me borrowing money, I'm borrowing money. Mm. You know, my, my, last, my last investment was $160 million. And of course, it's held in a different corporation. So it's, it's far away from me. You know, if the thing crashes, as they say, the bank has a problem. I don't have a problem. It's the game. You know, and if I can leave one message to all you young viewers, there's a game being played out there that's so far beyond Robin Hood and YouTube and all that stuff. The game of capitalism is a very sophisticated game played by very smart people, not all honest. But if you, if you don't want to play that game, buy Apple, buy Amazon, have an RRSP or a 401k, and get a safe, secure job with the uh, teachers union. I'd shoot myself if I did that. <laughs> yeah. So it all depends upon you. All I'm saying, Jay, is it's, it depends upon you, the person listening to the show right now, what does, what's stirring in your gut? You know? I don't really care. Because it goes up or goes down. That's what I'm saying, is that the bull goes up the stairs, bear comes out the window. Prepare for a depression today while people are high as kites. Yeah. That's how I think. You know, I'm, I'm a helicopter pilot. I went down three times in Vietnam. But we were prepared for it every single time. We knew it was coming. The aircraft always gave us warning. Engines going out here, taking, taking shots here and all this stuff. But the Marine Corps prepared us for the crash. And I'm, I'm doing kind of the same thing today, preparing people for the crash. So, so let me tell you this, you know, like Joseph Kennedy, who was John President Kennedy's father, you know, he said he was, he was in New York City and this shoeshine boy, oh, a taxi driver, had a hot tip from the stock market. This was 1929. So Joseph Kennedy said, sell everything. So when taxi drivers are giving you tips, it's time to sell. So in 2008, I was at Safeway right next to my house, and the checkout girl was giving me her car. She I flip houses. And I said to Kenny Malco and my partners, and, you know, looked at each other, it's time to sell. Mm. The crash is coming. Not that we're going to sell, but we're prepared for the crash and the depression. There was a depression. So two nights ago, with my other friend, we were all real estate guys here, massive, massive developments in Idaho and, and, and Arizona. We're looking for a place to eat. We can't even get a reservation because everybody, the bears at the top of the market, everybody's euphoric. You know what I mean? They're happy as Larry. They're drinking, champagne's flowing. We walk in, all these women are in evening gowns. And one was, I still remember, it was this bright gold, you know, looked like gold coins or something. Another had white and all this stuff. So uh, a friend of mine said, well, was it a high school prom? I said, no, these... These women haven't seen a prom for about four decades. <laughs> they, were, they were celebrating. Though. They were sucking down the champagne and all that. So my next door neighbor and I said, it's like the, it's like, it's like the shoeshine, all the taxi driver giving you a tip. It's like the Safeway checkout girl saying, I flip houses. I looked at my friend. This is about three nights ago. I said, it's time to sell. Because when, when the bear goes out the window, it's going to come fast. Faster than you know. Slowly at first, then suddenly. If I could pass those words of wisdom on as a seasoned investor, that's what traps people. At the top of the market, they're happy. 
at the bottom of the market, the depressed. And that's when you make your money when people are depressed. And, you know, I don't know if there's an easy way to learn that lesson other than just getting served it, you know, the hard way. And, and what I mean is, you know, pick an asset, right? We, we talked about the stock market, about real estate. You know, recently we had this big frothy Bitcoin market that has since corrected. And, and when you, when you enter an asset and then, you know, you receive a hundred percent return and then 150% return and then a 200% return. It's tough if that's your first rodeo to respond to that with anything except not only was I right, I was far more right than I thought I was. And I'm more right today than I was a month ago because my valuation's gone up. And your conviction just compounds and compounds and compounds until it starts to delude you. And I don't know if you, if you can truthfully, unless you've lived it, lived the free fall on the other side of that, that you can really, really understand and, and change accordingly. It's, uh, it's something we can talk about all day long because similar, like I watch cycles for a living, Robert, like I, whether it's a gold market, a Bitcoin market, a broad equities market, whatever. And I see the same indicators, right? Exactly what you're talking about. It's the, and I look at things like Twitter sentiment, right? How evangelical is the Twitter sentiment becoming? And, you know, we saw this a month and a half ago with Bitcoin price. It was like, you couldn't mention the word on Twitter without just being attacked if you were if you were bullish it was like the whole world's on your side if you were bearish it was just have fun staying poor blah 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 and, and of course there was a correction right i didn't sell uh i, I hold bitcoin and for me it's a 10-year trade and and so I, I have the benefit therefore of not sweating the you know the monthly price but yeah i don't i don't know you can it's funny you can tell somebody that all day long but i think you have to live it you have to live the other side of a bull market which is oh, and that's and that's why I appreciate you allowing me to talk about this because everybody was what's the price of Bitcoin going? What's real estate going to do? I said, look, you got to step back and look at markets. Yeah, all markets go up, all markets come down. Yeah, and this has been running since two thousand eight. It's a long bull market. So just remember, a depression is when people are depressed, and I think this next depression will be a long one. I would be preparing for that now. It doesn't mean I'm still, I'm still, I still buy real estate, I still don't buy this, but I study, I listen to guys like you or your guests and things like this, and you say, is it going up or down? Who cares? Right. How you prepared for whatever happens. That's the thing. So right now I have millions and millions of dollars of gold not stored in this country. I mean, I don't hold ETFs or stocks. I hold physical gold in different parts of the world. I also have a jet. I will get to it by myself. So I'm prepared. Interesting. You know, like the, the, you know at, at a lot of the more major airports have these special little hangars where the rich guys taxi up on their jets and the money is scooped into the plane and it's gone. Sure. It's a different game. That's what I learned in Vancouver. <laughs> yeah, do, do you know what I mean? So I, I talked to young guys and said, aim high. You know, really, really, really look at, you know, so, you know, some, you know, like this guy, what's his name? He said Bezos and uh, Musk and all these characters flying in space. I just want my layer 60. That's, I don't need to go in space. I just need a jet. I can get out of town fast and I can move. I can pick up my money in different parts of the world and keep going. That's a plan for a depression. Man. <laughs> it's an excellent plan. And uh, <laughs> it takes a while. It takes a while. That, so there, there, it takes a while. Now I want, I want to see if you can make this relative to someone who doesn't have 
the jet, doesn't have millions of dollars in gold stored in various countries. Instead, they're they're in their early 30s, right? They've got maybe a hundred grand in the market. Um, they'd love to get into real estate. They haven't yet, or they're in that scenario. Maybe they they own their first apartment, whatever it is. But Robert, what's what's depression preparation look like for somebody in that scenario, the sub millionaire? I really don't know because I, I I never had any money anyway. It was all the blessings I had. My father never paid for my education, so I've always been a scrambler. You know, I've always had to. I never had any money. So if you're a mommy's boy or a daddy's boy, and mommy and daddy gave you all your money, paid for your college education and all that, you're actually handicapped because you don't know what it's like to scramble. Do you, do you know what I mean? It's, you just don't know the game. You, you, want, you want mommy and daddy to give you the lollipop or something. So you actually get smarter in a depression if you have your, your wits about you. Because there's going to be more opportunity and all this. So right now, I've been listening to your channel, listening to all the people that you know come on. And I'll, I'll listen to Schiff, and he hates Bitcoin. He's still a friend of mine. You know, jo George Gammon's a good friend of mine. Uh, Jeff Snyder. I mean, these are very smart people. Mm. But I still have to make my decision. I never had any money, so I've never needed money. <laughs> it's really strange. That's why I was in Vancouver raising money. Because I didn't have any money. Mm. You know, if you can, it's, it's, your, it's, your, it's called a frame of mind. Yeah. So I, I actually feel sorry for rich kids. I, mean, I, ha I have friends whose parents gave them everything. Not friends, but relatives. They're completely worthless. It's just mommy's boys. Fat, sloppy. They got no fire in them. And the reason I went to Vancouver <laughs> is because everybody said... That's the most dangerous place on earth. I said, I, I belong there. <laughs> I've got to go. I've got to go meet those guys. And they're great guys. Hey, most are crooks, but they're great guys. <laughs> I had so much fun. It doesn't mean you have to be like them. Keep your ethics, morals, and integrity in there. But man, those are smart guys. It's it's better than somebody who's uh, you know, a public servant and is waiting for 20 years and um Got a wife and three kids, or whatever the case is. Not my, not my, not my kind of friend. Sure. So sure. I, I hang out with you know, like Gammon. You know, Gammon's a wild man. I love him. Kenny Macro is a wild man. All my friends are just entrepreneurs. So you are the people you hang out with. I'm not saying I hang out with you should hang out with, but right now, ask yourself. I've asked this question a lot of people. Who do you hang out with today? Mm -hmm. You know, are, are they fat slobs just sucking down Molson's and? eating uh, potato chips or the guys hustling around, working out, having a good time. You really are a reflection of your friends around you. I love that. I love that. And you know what? That, that does make it relative, you know, because when I think about, I guess, how I approach the market, <laughs> you know, uh, I'm, I'm just thinking about some of the characters I've met in Vancouver. <laughs> I love, I, uh, I love those guys. I love them. Biggest bullshit artists I've ever met. Right. <laughs> I I would never ask you to name names, but I I'm so curious if I how many of these individuals I know. But uh, I know. they're fun. It's uh you know I approach this like with a holistic nature, right? When I when people ask me like what you know what are the habits required? 
how do you become an investor? How do you become a great investor? All this stuff. And, you know, I don't know the answers to this stuff. I interview people to try to get to those answers. And I just feel as much as I can from yourself and from people like Peter Schiff and whoever else, Jeff Snyder and Marion Katusa and sort of let the legends in the business, you know, and I, I take as much of their perspective as I can and, and craft my own strategy. But, you know, I always recommend it goes beyond market research, right? Everything you just said. Now, I, I wasn't in the Vietnam War. I've never flown uh, a fighter jet. But, you know, what I can do, therefore, in my position, being born in peacetime in an affluent country and a predictable government, all this stuff, you can still work hard at being good yeah. at discomfort, right? And, and doing hard things, whether that's just as simple as, you know, getting up at 4.30 in the morning and hitting the gym. Uh, practicing habits that most people aren't comfortable maintaining, right. separating yourself from the herd in that way, because I find that really impacts my critical decision making. When I'm able, when I'm looking at the same thing that everybody else is looking at, how can I make sure I'm seeing it differently, right? And approaching right. it differently. Well, think different. You got to act different. So do different things, weird things, yeah. right? Outlier things, outlier habits, all that. Yeah, you know, Jay, you know, like this guy, Marin Katusa, man, that's one of the smartest guys I've ever met. Hundred percent. He is unfreaking believable, and he's a Vancouver kid. Yes, yeah. You know what I mean. So when I talk to him, there's a. It's like I, I, when I talk to my Marine friends, we could be fifty years apart, but there is this camaraderie. Yeah. That you know. So when I talk to guys in Vancouver, there's a love affair there, because we know we've we've got we've gone to battle together. Yeah. When I talk to my friend as a four hundred one k. No, 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 compadre here. I don't understand you. You don't understand me. Yeah. He wants his 401k. He wants his job security. He wants the stock market to keep going up. He has sure. his house and his three kids and a dog. That's his choice. I'm not saying it's right or wrong. It's not, not my choice. I think I want to say it's, it's either a fire in your belly or it's not. That's what it is. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? If you don't have it, you don't have it. It's not right or wrong. You just don't have it. And like, I, I couldn't be a ping pong player. You know what I mean? I, I just couldn't get all sexually stimulated. You know, today I'm going to practice ping pong for another five hours. I'm yeah. a rugby player. Yeah. So that's why I used to go to Vancouver and play rugby against what we call the cheesehead. We're going up to Vancouver and we're going to pound on the cheeseheads. It was all the Canadians up there. And we just loved it. It was the most high experience. We get drunk, beat the shit out of each other and just keep going. Now, if you don't have that fire in your belly, play ping pong. <laughs> <laughs> or, <laughs> or. <laughs> I'm not I just don't get excited about ping pong. <laughs> I'm, I'm with you. And and all I would say to that is, is if you're looking for that, you got to find people that have it. And yeah, it's, it's in your gut. It's inside of, it's already inside. And yeah. be true to that. But you, you are very much uh, a consequence of your surroundings. You know, and, and you talked about Marin Katusa for anybody who's not familiar, you know, Marin's he's a Vancouver guy. He's I, I think he's probably the largest independent financier in the junior resource sector, self-made, you know, came from, you know, the east side of Vancouver, rough neighborhood, Croatian immigrant. Um, and uh, when I you know, now people know him as a hedge fund manager, you know, newsletter writer, all of this. He's so far beyond that. man. He is so far. He is out of the road. Very much way down the road. He's a, he's a leader right now. But it's his mentality, right? And when I first met Marin, it was Rick Rule who introduced me. And the words he used is Marin's a street fighter. 
you know, and, and Marin's not a street fighter, but the mentality of a street fighter, he's a scrappy, gritty, get it he's done got, guy. He's got the fire in the belly. Yeah. I, I, I'm not saying that there's only one fire. There's different fires, you know, like I'm a rugby player. I went out for soccer. I couldn't stand it. I said, how can you not hit the son of a bitch? Right. You know, right. and soccer players, they fall down if you just wave at them. So I just couldn't stand it. Well, a rugby player wants to hit somebody. You know, the, you know, when we played Tongans and Samoans, I thought I died and went to heaven, you know. <laughs> well, Tongans and Samoans, they got no nerve endings and they're fast and they're strong. Sure. And then we'll, when we played the Cheeseheads in Canada, you guys, <laughs> it was so much fun because the parties were always the best. Right. <laughs> but it's the fire in the belly that brings you together. That's what brought Marines together. You got to have it in your guts. That's why I went to Vancouver, because everybody said it was the most dangerous place on earth. <laughs> and that's when I talked to Marin. There's a, there's a brotherhood there. You know, I talked to you. There's a brotherhood. We understand it. We know the game. It's not ping pong. <laughs> <laughs> love you got to love it or get out. Yeah. Okay. Look, I mean... There's been so many takeaways in this conversation, Roberts, and at the highest level, I mean, you know, it, it reaffirms the importance of sovereign thought, right? Yeah. Thinking for yourself, stepping outside the realm of normalcy and questioning everything, right? And your friends, who's your friends, you know? And who are you surrounded by? The most important, and I take such a critical eye to that on a regular basis to ensure, right. like, who are my... Who are my last five phone calls? Who did I talk to most frequently this week, right? Is it still the people that I want to be inspiring and pushing me to charge harder right now? Yeah. Hyper, hyper important. You know, all your friends, rugby players or ping pong players. Right. Yeah. No, but it's very real. Yeah. I mean, and there's nothing wrong with ping pong. I just don't want to play it. I don't want to be good at it. No, just make sure you're in the circle that you want to be in, right? Yeah. But, but you've got to want to be the best at it. That's the fire in the belly. Yeah. Yeah. You, everybody's different. I mean, please don't think there's only one way. There is. Everybody's individual. Everybody has their way. You know, like my friend's sister and trade stock options. Oh my God. How boring is that? You know what I mean? I'm going, I'd rather be in Vancouver. <laughs> it's just, that's the way it is. I, I, can't, I, couldn't, I couldn't sit there and go, oh, this is. Right. Right. Yeah. It's just being real. So this is the game. Yeah. We're going on the field. We're going to play rugby. We're going to kick ass. If you don't want to play it, get off. Sure. Yeah. And that's it. That's life. I don't recommend what I do. I don't recommend doing what you do or Marin, but it's a great place to come from. It is. Absolutely. And yeah. as you know, like the, the entrepreneurial world, you have likely far more bad days than good days. But Hopefully the good days outweigh the bad days, right? And yeah. if not in number, in significance, that's what keeps driving us forward. Look, Robert, I'm so grateful you made the time to come on the show. It was oh, thank you. great connecting with you. As you know, we run conferences in Vancouver. I'd love to bring you out, run down memory lane. Yeah, as long as I don't have to go through that COVID bullshit. So. Yeah, we're dealing with that. I that's, that's, that's a smokescreen, man. That's a smokescreen I've ever saw. I think COVID is a cover up the crash that's coming. You think so? It's going to be a bad crash. And they're going to blame it. They're going to blame it on COVID. Just like right now, they're, they're blaming the reason for this Delta virus on people who don't have vaccines. So they're always going to blame somebody. Yeah. 
And I'm going, God, it's all smokescreen. So I, that's, that's what I learned in Vietnam is that we were winning the war except the press, the press sold us down the river. So yeah. with, with coronavirus, you're saying that this, this is potentially the scapegoat that will be used to blame on the oncoming market. It happened in 1971 when we took the dollar off the gold standard. Yeah. And so they're pumping $120 billion a month into the market to keep it from floating. You know, as George Gammon says, it's like this. You have this market. You have a little a balloon, right? The hot air balloon. And got this little gondola. Well, generally, the little gondola should be the stock market or the bond market, whatever it is. Today, yeah. it's a, this is the market. Yeah. And we're, you and I and everybody else are hanging right here. And this baby is going to come down. Sure. And they're going to, I think they're going to blame it on Corona. It's, it's like a magician show. You know what I mean? Hey, watch this hand, watch this hand, watch this hand as you're picking your pocket with the other. So I have no respect for the media or the press. That's why I see, I see on you know, channels like yours and all that. Hope we don't get deplatformed. But we walk the edge right now because of censorship, freedom of speech. But I think coronavirus, I, mean, I don't doubt it's real. I don't doubt it's killed people. But I think it's to keep people off what's really going on, which is a crash in the market that's coming. It's my opinion. No, no proof. Sure. Okay. Yeah. I mean, it does tie back to you some earlier things you shared about just the fact that there's always a game being played behind. Yeah. Well, Buffett says if you sit at the poker table after 20 minutes, you don't know who the Patsy is. Sure. Who the Patsy. <laughs> <laughs> I've been the Patsy many times. <laughs> That's how you learn. Especially, especially in Vancouver. <laughs> <laughs> That's why I love it there. It's so exciting. Oh my God. <laughs> That's so funny. Okay. I love that. Look, I want to thank you again. It's been great. You're thank super you. to talk to you, Robert. And yeah. I really appreciate your time. Yeah, keep up the good work. I mean, you really are you are informing people straight. Let them make up their own decision. Is there inflation or deflation? But I think you should be prepared for depression right now. Who cares? Okay. So you'll make more money in a depression. It's going to be a long one. The last depression lasted 25 years, 1929 to 1954. The Dow hit 381 in 1929. It took to 1954 hard for people to wrap their minds around that being a possibility if you haven't lived through it before. It's so easy to say, well, that's it's never happened. It's not going to happen, right? I mean, we're living through the last 15 months has been an experience and it doesn't matter if it's never happened before. It could happen to you. But, you know, the thought of a sustained multi-decade depression like that is tough for people to wrap their minds around because, you know, it's not even in our generational memory. It's very difficult to... Uh, relate to no and 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 this is my generation that missed the depression my parents didn't sure it affected the way they thought yeah so they're into saving and all that other stuff they you know they'd save tin foil and all that crap because they're depression babies so it's going to affect and i'm just asking people to be aware step back take a look don't don't look at the froth of the show and you know the, the sleight of hand tricks and all this stuff and then the most important thing is be careful who you listen to and who your friends are. I love and it. Nothing wrong being a ping pong player, but if you don't want to be one, don't be one. Yeah. You, you got to match yourself to that fire in your belly.
and everybody's fire is different. So mm-hmm. If I can leave that message with everybody, it's going to be an exciting time. If you enjoy my content, do me a favor, follow or subscribe to this podcast, drop me a rating and a review and share this with a friend. All of these things allow me to get bigger and better guests on the show. Now you can catch me all over social media at jmartinbc. Thanks for tuning in.